This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh, here we go, boys. that sound. This is a good one. Welcome everybody to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Dale Luganbill. Ah, this week's weekend recap and rant, I get to talk about a little success story. Yes, indeedly do. So let's go with the uh, the recap here. Um, a little bit of a curveball. So the well, weather uh, got a little nasty here in uh, in Minnesota. We had a snowstorm move in last Friday night, and my plan was to scout Clearwater Lake for the upcoming uh, Minnesota Made Outdoors tournament ice fishing event on the following Sunday. But this storm had made a mess of the roads Friday and they were forecasting 30 to 40 mile an hour winds uh, for Saturday and my partner Joel couldn't, uh, he had to work so he wasn't going to be scouting with me and I mean the original plan really was uh, to run out there Friday you know get a, get a room and, and just wake up it's not. I mean, it's not super far from where I live, but it's not terribly close either. Plus, ooh, here's a little teaser. Plus, I was going to go out to Hutchinson, Minnesota, and uh, meet up with Joe Heinz. If you don't know who that is, he is a competition goose caller who I've had on this show a couple times now, and uh, he had an amazing season this year with bands and just geese in general um he's got a ton of great stories so i can't wait to 
hook up with him and get that podcast recorded. But because of the weather, I was like, I don't know if it's a good idea for me to be traveling out there. So we're going to reschedule that one. So I didn't end up going out there. And then I thought, well, I don't really want to be on that lake when it's blowing 30, 40 mile an hour by myself. I just don't think it's very smart. So I kind of wrote Saturday off. Except for when I woke up Saturday morning, let my dogs out, it was like beautiful. It was 23 degrees, like almost no wind. I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? I should be on lake right now. And it just really started to eat at me because we only had the one day of pre-fishing last week. And we did find some um, spots, but are pretty much a spot that I'll call it a spot because um, we found of all our looking, we really only, you know, running the camera found three places that we saw good fish. And the one place was a, real, a school of really good bluegills. But by the time, you know, we got some other holes punched and, and tried to catch them to get a size reference, they were just gone. And I couldn't find them again. Couldn't camera to camera to camera, nothing, nothing, nothing. Like, well, I mean, they were here, but they're just gone. And we spent probably a good hour trying to relocate that school and never did. So the other spots we had, it was like kind of kind of the same general piece of structure, but separated by a few hundred yards. So anyways, that's what we had. And there's a ton of the, of this lake that I haven't checked off. So it was just killing me to not be able to get out there and scout that one more day. And, of course, now it's nice in the morning. I mean, if I'd have, if I'd have left, you know, before light, I would have got out there. I would have had a good four, maybe even five hours of fishing before the weather got nasty because the wind did kick up later in the afternoon, and it got pretty sporty. And then, so, I don't know. I don't know, in hindsight, I guess the roads were still, from what I heard, they were still really crappy. So, even though the weather was nice Saturday, had I tried to drive out there early morning, uh, it might still not have been the greatest thing. But that's just what I'm going to tell myself, anyways, to feel better. <laughs> so, anyways, didn't get any scouting. Poured over the map a little bit. Kind of talked with uh, Joel to see if we could come up with, you know, what are we going to do? if our fish aren't where we saw them last week. And, uh, you know, we had some options, but we just weren't too confident in that. But I do feel good about, or I should say, I did feel good about the spot we were going to fish. Um, it just the structure, how it sets up. Um, this lake has a reputation of here today, gone tomorrow with, like, schools of fish they're they they roam basins a lot you know the the transition from shallow water to super deep water is very quick like these just drop off so there's not a lot of that middle you know mid-level like flats area that on other lakes would hold like just hold fish like these fish are constantly on the move and so yeah, this lake has that reputation but this particular spot it does seem kind of unique for that lake in that it did have, mm, I don't, it's not, I wouldn't say a large area of moderate depth, but relative to that lake, a large area of moderate depth. So I, I felt confident, and the structure on this is what I would call a saddle. 
if you, I mean, a lot of people refer to saddles, but this particular structure on this lake, people had different names for it. But so I call it a saddle. So there's a, a real shallow area, you know, it comes up to like, you know, less than 10 feet. And then on the main lake side, just drops off into super deep water really quick. Um, but on like the other side, it, it drops off down to 15 and then it comes back up and then you have a big shallow flat before it gets to shore so you have that little swath of moderate depth and then if you went right or left of that in this case east or west then that also led to deeper you know like real deep water so it's kind of a shortcut to two separate basins if you will that's kind of how i see it in my mind anyways how i interpreted the map so I felt confident that this is going to be a high traffic area and maybe they're moving in and out of there, but I felt really good that the fish would still be there. Um, and that was our plan. So day of the event, we get all set up. We are fourth flight cause we were first flight last time. And, uh, we, uh, we take off, head to our spot and, uh, we get there and there was a little, uh, little drama right away in the morning. I'm not going to get into that because I, I don't really feel it It needs to be um, brought up. But we'll just say it's a, it was a misunderstanding. Um, some words were had and whatever. It's fine. So anyways, we, uh, there's a couple, there was a couple other teams in that general vicinity. And uh, what we had hoped would happen is that that low light, period right away in, in the beginning part of the day would have the crappies using that area because we had found them in um, low light but on the evening side so we were kind of a hope but mm, pretty pretty good confidence that they would use that area sure enough they were it didn't take long and i had um well the first fish i stuck was a was a big rock bass and they were just switched on. Everybody was catching big rock bass that day. It was ridiculous. But I was using a K rip on this brand new reel I just bought. I gotta look. I still gotta figure that thing out because either I didn't set it up right, or I pressed some sort of free spool button or whatever. But I set the hook on this fish, and I'm reeling, and nothing's happening. And this is brand new reel. I mean, it's a good, good brand too. And I'm like, oh, oh, it got off. And then I'm like, no, he's still there. And it's like, then I finally realized I wasn't, wasn't actually taking up line. So finally, and here I'm thinking it's, I can feel there's weight on it. I can feel it's a good fish. I'm thinking it's a big crappie. So I don't even mess. I just, I literally like chuck the rod and just hand over hand that line. Like it's a tip up and get that fish up. And then to my surprise, it was a, a big rock bass. I was like, holy smokes. But so I got to run back to my rod box, grab another rod. So I grab a, a big, uh, a pink Kenders jig, pink and white Kenders jig with like a, a smoke, like a white smoke fleck, uh, minnow tail, soft plastic. And I plunge that thing back down there and it's not too, too long. And boom, I stick a really good crappie. Boom. Top side. All right. We are, we're jamming, you know, boom. Add another one. I think I, had, I put, I put three in the box. I think Joel added one. And then as quick as that kind of picked up, bite just like died off. And the crappies like moved out and then we started getting more bluegill bites and we could see the other teams were catching fish too in fact the 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 one team that was closest to us jack and jeremy who were the team of the year last year so real good sticks we watched them catch just a giant i think it was just under 14 inches Whew, that thing was big man that was a nice fish 
And, uh, you know, we had ours were like 12, a little over 12, I think. I think we had one that was just under 13. And But, man, that, I mean, compared to that 14, good Lord, that was a toad. That was big. And then they caught another big one later in the day. But So we um, we kept fishing that spot, and then we just weren't getting those crappie bites. I mean, we'd see somebody catch one, but they were really starting to get few and far between. And, you know, and our hope was that we would get our crappie limit first thing in the morning because that's kind of what was going to be the Achilles heel on that lake was getting a full limit of crappies. And if you're new to the show or you're new to the Minnesota Made Tournament structure, I'll just quickly explain it. Um, this is a sunfish and crappie tournament, and you get seven of each. If you get a full bag, so if you get seven crappies and seven bluegills, you get a bonus fish. So generally you'll take a bonus crappie because they're usually bigger than bluegills. So getting a full limit is like everything because it means an extra fish. Even if it's a small one, it's like that's actually two fish. So, yeah, we didn't get it. We're like, oh, no. You know, it's like, well, at this point, let's slide off of this spot. Well, we kind of started to do a little like kind of a spiral search out from where we're at to kind of probe some deeper water and see if maybe the crappies had just pushed off a little bit as they head out to the deeper water, roam the basin for the rest of the day or wherever they disappear to. Cause in the middle of the day, they just like straight vanishing act. And, uh, that wasn't really working. It really just like even stopped marking any fish there for a while. And so we decided, all right, well, let's make a move down to our second spot in air quotes, because it's really only like a couple hundred yards away. Um, basically part of the same structure, but closer to much closer to the deep water basin. So we slide out there, we drill our holes, and we start finding some fish, and but they're bluegills and rock bass, even more rock bass. It's just great. Dude, there was a time I went on a rock bass tear. One hole I had this school fired up, and I caught seven straight super chunk rock bass on seven straight drops. It was ridiculous. It got to the point where I started to recognize like their signature on the vex, the way they bit, and even like when I would set the hook, it, just the way, the kind of how they fought, like everything. I was like, oh, this is a rock bass before I even made one crank on the reel. And sure enough, it would be a rock bass. Um, this is just crazy. Any normal day, I would be so stoked to have that kind of rock bass day because I, I have a soft spot in my heart for rock bass. Uh, Patrick Patches Olson, you got my back on this. They're cool little fish, man. They just they, they're like the they're like the groupers of freshwater. I I just like them, and they taste good. They get bad reputation. Reputation people just don't they don't keep them. They think they're garbage, but they're not. And I think they actually have more meat on them per inch than any other panfish. They're just oh, they're just stocky. But anyways, they don't help me on tournament day. So they're wasting my time. And. Uh, so we're we're still moving around because our our idea was like well we don't have our full crappie bag, um, but we're halfway there a little over halfway there we needed three more, but we we found some really really good bluegills in this spot uh, pre fishing so we're like well if we can at least get a solid like a real solid bluegill bag you know we won't win but we should at least be you know in the upper half you know. So that was kind of our, our plan. And uh, we kept moving around. And this part of the day, 
it really gets to where you check 20 holes and see absolutely nothing, and then all of a sudden you go to the next hole, and it might be as close as like four or five feet away, and boom, it's just fish all the way to the bottom. You're like, holy crap, here's the school, and then you drop down there as fast as you can before they move on because these schools are just they're moving in and out or they're sliding along this seam, and really was a seam because the depth range that the fish were using was super narrow. So it was like 12 to 13 feet was what they wanted. We found a couple stragglers in 14 and a couple stragglers in 11. But either way, if you went to 15, nothing. If you went to 10, nothing. Like it was that 12 to 13 was the magic. So once we kind of narrowed that down, then I just did this tight tight weave with our holes uh, up and down that break for you know a decent stretch. And uh, we just kept working up, back and down, back up, back down, back up, back down. Just kept checking fresh holes and trying trying to stay in those fish. I mean, I guess you probably could stay still and just wait for the fish to come through as it did seem like certain particular holes ended up having more fish in them, just how it worked out. Was it chance? I don't know. But I honestly, I'll, I'll, I'll be totally honest with you, that might be the way to do it. I just can't fish that way. I go stir crazy if I'm staring at that vex and I'm not marking fish for more than five minutes. I gotta move. I can't do it. It's just too much. My brain just starts going, and there's just too much background noise, and I'm not focused. And I just need to stick to the game plan and go find fish. So we just kept moving. Now the day's wearing on. There's like only a couple hours left in the day, and we start thinking. Boy, sure, it would be nice. We just need those three crappies to get our bag. It's really unlikely, but we had talked pre-fishing and scouting because we know this lake holds um, schooling fish out in the basins, but they're just really hard to find. Um, You have to drill a ton of holes, and it's kind of chance if you actually intercept one of these traveling schools. But if you do, you can pick up, you know, a lot of times they'll bite, and a lot of times they're really good ones. So we were kind of debating. We're like, well, do we kind of back out and go to the deep water basin, which is, you know, connected to this spot where we think they're coming from or going to, and see if we can't drum up a a crappie or two? I mean, we haven't, we upgraded our gills a little bit, but we honestly didn't get the big fish that we had found pre fishing. I know that old same song and dance, but that's just how it was. And then. We kind of settled on, well, let's go to the other side of this deep water where it starts to come back up again, go in the same seam, that 12, 13-foot seam, and it should be the same over there, um, and there's nobody fishing over there, so maybe just some fresh water, you know, quieter spot, maybe they'll have some fish. We're like, yeah, let's go try that. So we boogie over there, and that wasn't a big move, and we drill a bunch of holes, probably 20 holes, start checking those. I don't think we marked a single fish. So now here we are back at, oh, man, now we just wasted a half hour on that. Do we back out? Do you want to do the basin thing? We're like, I don't know. Well, in the back of my mind, the spot we were just at, not only was there a shit ton of rock bass using it and we were catching bluegills there, but I actually caught a 19-inch walleye um, there, which came home with me. And after I caught that walleye, the way it bit and the way it fought, I was like, I lost two more walleyes. Just, I guarantee they're walleyes because the way they fought and the kind of the way the hook popped out. Because when I finally got that walleye up, 
through the hole. The I don't even know what was holding it. The hook just literally fell out of its mouth. I mean, I'm using like a three millimeter tungsten jig, super tiny hook, small soft plastic bait, and on one pound test, and I catch a walleye. You know, you know, you know, standard walleye gear. <laughs> yeah, whatever. So my my brain starts to go. There's all this life over there. There's predators over there with the rock bass and the walleye. And we like there's largemouth bass over there too. So I'm like, it just to me makes sense that a crappie has gotta move in and out of there throughout the day too. Why wouldn't if there's food there, why wouldn't they why wouldn't they use it? You know, and at this point in time, like it was a it was a tough bite. Like you really had to work these fish um to trigger them to bite. You know, it was it was pretty hot that first hour in the morning, but it really slowed down. When that sun got high and kind of broke through the clouds a little bit, that bite got real tough. And I just feel, I don't know, I just felt like they should use it. That's what I just kept telling myself in the back of my mind. And while we were debating going out to the basin or to fish that spot, I said, let's just go over there. I just, let's go over there. Let's try to upgrade those gills. And I think we have a decent shot at, you know, maybe getting lucky and getting a crappie. So we go back over there, and within, I would say, 15 minutes, boom, I stick another big 12-inch plus crappie. Oh, mama, you've never seen somebody so happy in all your life. Dude, I was so pumped up. I was like, yes, this. I was like completely reinvigorated, ready to rock, so focused, like laser laser focus. And now I'm just like, every mark is a potential crappie. I don't get, you know, where where I may have been brushing it off, like, oh, it's probably a rock bass, or that's just another bluegill or whatever. It's like, nope, that might be a big crappie. And so I started jigging like it would be a crappie, for whatever that means, um, the cadence, I guess, that I was using. And then uh, a few minutes later, Joel sticks another another good crappie. I'm like, oh, man, this might happen. <laughs> one more. We need one more. And then he catches one. And he's like, oh, it's a little one. He brings it up, and he looks at it. He's like, they only have to be eight inches, though, to be a legal fish. And at this point, I mean, like I was saying earlier, that limit, getting seven crappies and seven bluegills is super important because you get that bonus fish. So we measured it eight and a half inches. Yes, that is a full limit. So at worst, now we get to weigh in eight bluegills and seven crappies, which we either call like an upside down bag or a goofy bag. I like to call it a goofy bag. It's more fun than upside down. But <laughs> anyways, so but we still have a little bit of time. We got like 20 minutes and we have to sort some fish. We have 20 minutes of like fishing time before we need to pack up and then, you know, drive back to the landing. So just keep fishing hard. I'm like, man, if we can get one more bonus crappie, especially a good one, oh, that's really going to help our weights. And uh, we might actually have a chance at winning this thing. And then we didn't we didn't get it. Time ran out. Um, I think I made one small upgrade on our gills. And, uh, again, never did get any of those big chunky gills. But we had, you know, a good average. I mean, I think we had like, you know, eight and a half. Eight and a half to nine inch bluegill average, which is you know, you want tens. I mean, that's what you want. I mean, those are the those are the trophies. Those are the tubs. But you know, asking for a full limit of those is pretty ridiculous. But um, so we had a decent bag of, of bluegills, but we had that full bag, and that's huge. And in talking to other people, it 
it sounds like everybody else was struggling to get those bites too all day long, and a lot of people didn't have full bags. So I was like, well, after watching Jack and Jeremy catch, you know, two almost 14-inch fish, actually I think they got one that was over 14. Um, I was like, they got it, and they're a good team, great sticks. So I was like, I'm sure they have a full bag too. We don't have those giant crappies. So I was like, well, we probably didn't win, but I, I feel good we're going to finish in the top. You know, because I just don't think everybody else has full bags. So we had to weigh in. And um, so the way we had to wait like so long because the way it's like flip flop, you know, the the position that you um, placed in the last event and we came in sixth. So you, you know, you kind of flip that and that's the, you know, that's how you weigh in. So last place would weigh in first and then so on and so forth. So we had to wait quite a, quite a bit. And, uh, as people started weighing in and, you know, we, of course you're waiting your turn, you're talking to everybody and everybody's saying it was tough and, and a lot of people didn't have full bags. It looked like only four teams were going to weigh a full bag today. So just that alone is like, well, we're top five. I mean, that's pretty good. That was been our goal for this year. So might not be good enough to win, but at least we're going to be, we're going to be up there. We're going to get the points. And uh, so we we weigh our bag, and it comes in way better than I thought it was going to be. 10 pounds, uh, I think it was 0.92. 10, yeah, 10.92 is what it was, I believe, And which surprised me. I, that's a good bag. I did not think we had that solid of a bag because that 8.5-inch copy in there, I mean, he doesn't hardly weigh anything. And then, you know, our gills were good but not great. So, But then the winners of... Last week, the last events um, went up to weigh, and I saw them dumping their bucket in. I was like, well, it was fun sitting in the hot seat for a second. (laughs) And so they put their fish on the scale, and everybody's looking at it, and they're like, it's another 10-pound bag. I'm like, just like almost like getting, like stretching, getting ready to get up out of the seat. And then they read it off. And I don't remember what the weight was, but it wasn't 10 point. And I think it was 10, four ish somewhere in there. And then it was like, wait a minute. Did we just, did that just happen? Did, did we just win? I think we just won. And then, you know, I was talking to Jack and he was like, you know, cause I'm sure he was feeling everybody else out. And he's like, you guys won this. And this was early. This was before we we uh, weighed in. I'm like, you think? No, I didn't think so. Cause, and I didn't know if they had a full bag. I assumed they had a full bag. And that's when he he told us that they didn't have a full bag. I was like, oh, really? Holy crap. He's like, yeah. I was like, oh, man, but you got those two toads in there, though. And um, But he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you guys got it. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. But then turns out we did. He was standing right there, and he's like, told you <laughs> i've never been so happy to be wrong in all my life and it was weird man it was like i was super stoked but also felt kind of weird because you chase this thing this this desire to to win one of these events and you know you watch other people win it and hold up those plaques and if you've been listening to the show you know how much i just wanted those plaques more and more in the money more than any prize on the prize table like I just want that validation of being number one at least for a day, you know, and uh, and now here we actually got it, and it's like I didn't know how to act. <laughs> it was weird. It was really weird, um, very surreal 
and uh, I'm just very I'm still stoked about it. My mind still goes back to that event, and I got to get refocused because, you know, I did a little write up on my Facebook page, and then we shared it on the Minnesota Made Outdoors page, and in the end, or no, you know what? Actually, it was a comment I made on on Justin Squeak's um, write up. He had a great write up on it too, and uh, I really pre- appreciated his insight and his like spirit and tenacity because they didn't do well on that day. They really struggled. Um, but instead of getting down, he was just like, and now I just, I'm more focused and I know, you know, like he just wants to learn. And I just really, 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 really respect that. I thought that was great. And um, I said, hey, here's the thing. You're only as good as, you know, because he was complimenting me and congratulating me on, on on winning that day. And I was like, here's the thing. You're only ever as good as your last event. So, yeah, we won. And I'm super stoked about that. But the next event's a new lake and we can easily come in wherever, you know, and as far as chasing that team of the year title, there's only four events. So now we're halfway through. And even with, even though we took first place in one event, we're still behind in the overall point standing because the team that won the first event, they won set, they took second in this one. So, <laughs> They're still leading in the points. They they are the team to beat. So I'm kind of, even though we won, and I have that, like, feeling of accomplishment and, and being proud of of that accomplishment, there's still this, we still have a lot of work to do. We're still not there. They're the team to beat. Um, so still kind of that underdog feeling. And... Um, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's, you know, you never want to get complacent. I never want to think that I'm better than anybody. I mean, this this league has a ton of really, really good sticks in it. And it's, you know, it's just one event. You know, we did well one event, and they didn't do as well that particular event. But we've been on the other side of that. You know, we've, I mean, how many times have I said, like, we just didn't get the fish we found pre-fishing we just if, if only this would have happened if only this would have happened we, we might have been there you know that's how it goes um it worked out for us this time but there's no guarantees it's going to work out for us for the next event or the next two events so we just got to go out there and 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 erase and erase the victory um pressure's off now i don't have to worry so much about getting that plaque i mean that thing now i have one and uh, now I need another one. <laughs> but I only need. But now it's points. Now, now the goal isn't so much that plaque. Is I want those points because now that we're this close, team of the year is a realistic possibility. We just have to do our part and make sure we fish clean, scout smart, um, you know, be efficient. Make sure all your gear is intact and ready to rock and roll. I mean, my, you do your best, but even begin, I made three, like I went to go drill the first hole, my K drill with a Milwaukee fuel uh, drill on it. It made like three rotations and seized up. It still doesn't work. I got to bring it in and see if we can get that fixed. Thankfully we have two augers, so we weren't dead in the water, but I mean, that definitely hinders you when you, when you're down, you know, one whole auger. So it's, I mean, you do the best you can. You try to maintain your equipment, 
make sure everything is, is good to go. Those are the things you can control. What you can't control is the fish. So, yeah, there it is. There's your weekend recap. We um, we made it. <laughs> we, we got the plaque, and I'm super stoked. Um, but you guys should really, if you haven't done so already, go on to Facebook, find Minnesota Made Outdoors. Um, a lot of people did write-ups this week, and they did some write-ups for the last one too. Um, they're all really great little write-ups about you know their perspective of, of that event, and uh, I really enjoyed reading them all. I hope some more people um, write some. I'd, I'd still like to read some more. I find it, it fascinating to, to get other people's perspective on, on that same day. You know, um, it's pretty interesting. So if you haven't done that, go on Facebook, find Minnesota Made Outdoors, and uh, follow along there. Give them a like. That would I'd really appreciate it. And then you can follow along what's what's going on with uh, Team Full Scale Outdoors. Yeah, that um, pretty cool. And while we're on that subject, um, so the next event, if you're here in Minnesota, it's going to be on Green Lake up by uh, you know between Isani and Princeton. And there's a really cool thing though. The day before. So February 1st, Minnesota Made Outdoors is teaming up with Hometown Hero Outdoors, and we're setting up a big event. We have a big event set up, I should say, um, where we're going to do tournament-style fishing with a bunch of uh, vets, active military, law enforcement uh, personnel. And uh, so there's a bunch of guys from Minnesota Made. We're going to volunteer. We're going to help them out. And so we'll kind of be, like, guiding different teams of these uh, hometown hero teams, and uh, it's going to be awesome. We're just going to take them around, and, you know, there's going to be a ton of really good prizes. Traeger Grills are going to be out there grilling up some some bomb food. Um, just I can't remember all the sponsors right now, but if you go on the Minnesota Made Outdoor page, you'll, you'll find all that stuff, and uh, it's just going to be, dude, I'm so looking forward to it. It's going to be great. Um, it's just going to be a ton of fun. And then the following day is the tournament. So we're really not even going to get that day of scouting. So it's kind of this this weekend to scout for that lake, for that tournament, um, because we're we're hosting the that event the day before the tournament. So really looking forward to it. It's going to be a busy weekend. So I'll have a lot to talk about on next week's uh, recap and rant for sure. So tune into that. Um, make sure you share this. Um, with anybody you think would be interested and would like it, you know, rate and review it, all that good stuff. I'll tell you to do that stuff at the end of it. So let, let's get on to this week's rant. I'm going to piggyback off of last week. So if you listen to last week's rant, I talked about how um, the Grand Tetons were going to shoot the invasive mountain goats. Uh, Ariel gun them down, hundreds of them, and just leave them lay. And so I went on my big diatribe about how I just, I think that's asinine. Why aren't we using hunters? Um, got all up in arms about that. And then I saw, then a, a couple days later, I see this uh, article get posted and I get a little, a little breath of hope falls across me. And I'm like, all right, I'm not the only one that thinks this is a stupid idea. So I'm going to read part of this um, article um, by, uh, whole hope I don't mess this dude's name up, but I know I will, Mike Koshmerl from the Jackson Hole Daily. Um, so the state board is condemning the aerial 
Teton goat shooting. So thank God. The Wyoming Game and Fish Department is coming through. So I'm just going to read you a little bit of this article. State wildlife officials are blasting Grand Teton National Park's decision to lead off its mountain goat eradication efforts with aerial gunning. Meeting in Cheyenne on Wednesday, the Wyoming Game and Fish Commission broached the topic unexpectedly and signed off on a resolution opposing the park's plan for this winter. Instead of shooting the non-native goats from a helicopter, the government-appointed board is seeking a hunt to open to volunteers. Yes, and approach the park uh, has also authorized. So that is what, please and thank you, that makes so much more sense. Quote, having government personnel kill mountain goats from helicopters and leaving them to rot and be wasted is unacceptable, uh, end quote. But Game and Fish Commissioner President David Rail, and he wrote to the acting park superintendent, I am not trying to pronounce that dude's name, <laughs> Gopal Nujbail. Yeah, anyway, go find this article and read it for yourself. Grand Town, the Grand Teton National Park's, quote, refusal to utilize statutory options allowing skilled volunteers to harvest the mountain goats is short-sighted and sets a dangerous precedent. And I could not agree more, end quote. So um, at least they had that. We have that. So there, there, there's people in Wyoming, officials, that realize the problem at least in my eyes, of just leaving these things away. So when you have an army, a literal army of hunters that are willing to go help reduce these populations um, and manage it the way we think it's managed. I mean, I still think it's kind of goofy, but I'll leave that. If you want to know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to last week's recap and rant, and you can fast forward through the recap part and get to the rant, and you know what I'm talking about. Um, just my kind of concept of what, how we perceive nature, how it's like so static. However we find it is just like how it's always supposed to be. I, I find that kind of weird because nature is always in flux. So anyways, I'm already repeating myself. Go back, listen to that one, <laughs> and then come back to this one. All right. But anyways, so that is great. It was really refreshing to see that. And then the wind gets knocked out of my sails. Because a few days later, I read another article where the national park officials say they're going to go ahead with the shoot anyways. So I find it a huge waste. Oh, and there's a bunch of other stuff too. Um, it's being condemned by um, animal rights activists. It's like this is one of those things. Like some people could say, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. No, they're not my friend. They aren't. They don't want them. They, they want stupid, stupid shit uh, ideas like, you know, sterilizing them or reloc you know, going there and relocating. Like, wait, you're going to relocate 200 goats? You, I would say the question would be, do you have any idea what that topography is like? Do you have any idea what you're asking them to do in the winter weather? But no, they don't have any idea because most animal rights activists have no concept of how actual nature works. They just don't. And you, you probably heard me say it a zillion times, but I'll say it again. It's laughable that animal rights activists, animal lovers, in air quotes, think that they're doing good for animals. They know nothing about these animals. Hunters know about these animals. They know where they sleep. 
where they what they eat, what they smell like, what their tracks look like, what their fur feels like, color of their eyes. The, it's so frustrating that that actual policy can be set and government officials can be swayed just by the numbers of over-emotional people with knee-jerk reactions to, like, an image of something. Um, obviously, Cease the Lion is, like, a huge, the, the, like, the biggest example of that. And uh, it's just, it's crazy. Which, by the way, I'll plug another old one. If you haven't listened to, I did um, an episode with uh, a big game preserve from South Africa and go back and listen to that one. What a fantastic conversation I had with Hannes. Uh, it was great. It, um, it was, I, I've already listened to it again myself and I was there. I mean, it's just, there's so much good information in there. Um, and the viewpoints of like, they're trying to, Oh, and I watched, I'll get into this. So let, I'll try it at home. I'm going to reel back. Sorry, my brain's going a million miles an hour. I'm going to try to wrap up my little Grand Teton rant, rant here, animal rights activist rant, and then I'm going to give you some homework. Um, so, yeah, so the, I don't care what the animal rights activists have to say about killing. I mean, here's the thing. I, we're not we're not relocating these things. Re, they're either going to manage them and how the park's going to manage them by killing them, and they're, they did say they were going to allow people to get, you know, try to go in there and, and if they can get some of the meat they're going to be allowed to go get some of the meat so that's at least something um but hopefully this conversation between the national parks and the game of fish um commission can can get together and come up with a resolution and maybe a better plan like what i said in the last one is like why don't you just have um don't wait till the herd gets to 200 300 you know if you see 50 on the mountainside then set up a time and start have hunts kill them all i mean people will pay money and and don't make it like a super rich trophy thing you know 50 bucks for tag or 100 bucks for tag go up there you know and no holds barred if you want to shoot a a lamb just shoot a lamb i mean they don't want them up there so i mean i would have no problems in a situation like that where it's a cull i I would be completely guilt-free going up there and shooting a nice young tender mountain goat lamb or i guess it would be a kid because the goat um that would be fantastic i've never even had mountain goat but (laughs) i'm all in (laughs) put me in coach dude that would be awesome so there we'll we'll tack that i'm gonna keep an eye on that store for you guys um but or follow along yourself i'd like to hear your thoughts on it uh so follow me on the facebook leave a message on there about it you leave a comment on this podcast or also i do have an email if you'd like to email me about the show any kind of question or comments or guest suggestions or topic suggestions anything like that it's um full scale outdoors is it at full scale wow do i even know it, actually no it's dale luganville at fullscaleoutdoors.com so yeah dale luganville at fullscaleoutdoors.com so send me some emails and we'll get to that now so Piggybacking off of the um, the African Safari podcast episode that I did, there on Netflix there is a documentary called Trophy, and they refer they talk like it's all about exactly what we just talked about. So if you want like a visual representation of what's going on out there, check it out. It's on Netflix. It's called Trophy, and the main thing in there it's about um, 
legalizing the sale of rhino horn. And I know that sounds like, why would you want to do that? we got to protect the rhinos. But since they banned the sale of rhino horn, poaching has grown. The poaching deaths of rhinos just increases every year by like a lot. And it's just keep going up. Rhino horn is worth more than gold right now. So then these people are literally willing to kill you, risk their lives to get into these fenced-in preserves and kill a rhino and cut the horn off. And here's what happens when you legalize the sale of rhino horn. Yeah, I mean, I get it. You know, people over in wherever, whatever country think thinks ground-up rhino horn is good for the wang, whatever. Yeah, it's dumb. It's not scientific. But if there's a market for it, they're still killing these animals to get it. Like, so... Why not legal lift the band, let them have their stupid rhino horn dick pills because when they're farmed, when you give those animals legal value, you literally have rhino horns where they will breed rhinos. So they will have lots of rhinos and they don't have to kill the rhino to get the horn. The horn grows back. They cut off like two thirds every two years and you just have a steady supply of rhino horn. It's like a no. You'll have more rhinos than you know what to do with at some point in time. Like it may. I never thought of it that way before, um, until Hannes brought it up, and then I saw that trophy documentary, and I'm like, this makes so much sense. It just makes so much sense. I mean, to the extent that they should do the same thing with ivory. I mean, you just have more elephants if you do that. Because right now you can't trade ivory. So what happens? It just goes to a black market trade. It doesn't go away. People don't stop buying ivory. People don't stop killing animals to get it. It's just a higher risk. And you drive the value way up so it's even more attractive to would-be criminals and underground. So we have to start thinking differently uh, about that kind of value. And hopefully, you know, a big part of that is like not being able to bring back even like lying trophies back to America. And they t- in this trophy documentary, they talk about that, how like they really need to like America is their number one uh, economic resource and that they want to make sure that that stays that way. And they've been losing that battle. They're losing that battle to those animal rights activists, those people that believe with their hearts and not with their brains. And I don't know how we get this across to them so we can we can show them because, you know, there's all sorts of scenarios where animal populations are out of control. They don't want people to hunt them, but they still get killed. You know, the example would be mountain lions in California. They ban mountain lion hunting, but they still end up killing like 200 lions a year. And they just get dumped. They don't get utilized. So it's just, it doesn't make any sense. So really what they have a problem with is somebody taking some sort of enjoyment out of taking an animal's life. Not that the animal died. Sometimes you have to manage populations. Some of them can see that. They just don't want somebody to do it recreationally. And that falls into some sort of ideology, almost like a religion. I, I would say it, it is a religion to these people because they're so fanatical about it. But So there. I don't want to reiterate myself. Um, check it out. Trophy, Netflix, really good documentary. And uh, so that's this week's weekend recap and rant. Thank you for listening. Um, Here's my little pitch for everything. Go out, and uh, if you haven't done so already, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, fullscale underscore outdoors.com, the Alugamilla Snapchat. Go wild. 
Find me on the Go Wild app, which you'll just love it. So just down, if you don't have the Go Wild app, download it. Check it out. Super cool. I have a ton of fun on there. And if you're available, come out February 1st. Hometown Heroes Outdoors, Minnesota Made Outdoors, team effort, event. Come out, cheer on the veterans. Come out to the live why the live, <laughs> the live weigh-in. Uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. So with that, I am going to sign off, everybody. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Great review, five stars. You guys are the best. Whatever your passion, follow it full scale.